Jeff Ogilvie survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Gary Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is, Adam Scott. A life changer. Unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Welcome to Inside the Ropes for the very, very first time. Uh, unrestricted access to golf uh, in Australia and right around the world. Golf from the... Major tour is going to be covered right through to your backyard on a weekly basis with the people who love the game, talk about the game, write the game, and most importantly, play the game. Andy Ma is my name. I'm in the host seat every week alongside Mark Hayes, who is the media manager for Golf Australia, a fine, I was about to say, single-figure handicapper in your own <laughs> right. But last time I heard you probably slipped out beyond that, didn't you? Yeah, might just be teetering on the double figures at the moment. Oh. So with less time in the studio, more on the course, I think, is being called for. I did see you trying on social media through your – I don't know whether it was the Golf Australia – uh, website the other last week or not, but I did see you trying to hit a little flop shot in front of some of the nation's finest young players. That didn't go too well. Always smart for a guy with dodgy hands to grab a short, <coughs> pardon me, grab a short lob wedge and try and show off in front of the best amateurs in Australia. I think that's something that everyone should try once in their life. And uh, I'm really apologetic to Zach Murray for nearly taking him out at the ankles. We might talk about Zach Murray a little bit later on. Um, you should have left it to Joe Charlton, who is yeah. a very, very fine player. A very, very fine player. Now the regional development manager for Golf Victoria and going to be a regular part of Inside the Ropes. Hello, Joe. How are you, Andy and Hazy? He clearly he clearly got nervous, Joe. He clearly nerved up. The moment got a bit too big for him and he played, he just bladed this thing. How many times did you actually just kill it? Oh, I actually played two or three good shots before uh, the guy did. with the video actually yeah, just no, wandered across and I tightened up a little bit and I'm going to get that guy with the video. <laughs> uh, in fact, he might be filming us as we speak. But uh, I think the issue here, Joe, was... Not a lack of talent. Is that I'm six foot two. My clubs are two inch oh. overstanded. I was playing with David Michelusi's stick. He's three foot seven. <laughs> the small Italian. Yeah, it's, a, it's an outrage. Anything that comes out of this is all down to him. Did I read somewhere last week that uh, before you get stuck into the bits and pieces? And we'll start with the major tools and talk about what's taking place golf domestically at you know the elite level and down to club level as well, and focus on the big news of the week. Um, did I see somewhere last week, and this is a question without notice to the pair of you, that some guy pl- teed it up in a, a club comp, I think in New South Wales, using hickory-shafted sticks and actually won the club comp. Did I read that story somewhere last week? I missed that, but it happened also down at Sorrento Golf Club during the week. It might, have been, Sor- it might have been Sorrento. Yeah. Mark Williamson, the, um, the head pro there, very excited. I so- saw him posting it all over Facebook the <laughs> night before. And then um, a few bit of video footage um, of the date as well. And I'll come back to you with a name later, but the guy did it at the Brisbane Golf Club in the monthly medal about a month ago now. Uh, fantastic. He's won the US Open Hickory event That's and the, the Australian Open Hickory event previously, but now he's taken out all the guys with their razzle-dazzle technology oh. and beaten them on a really legitimate course. It's uh, you know Obviously, the Interstate Series was there last year. It's hosted big events before, so huge effort. I'll come back with a name later. So you talked to the golf nerds like Clayton, Mike Clayton, who's going to be part of this podcast and radio show on the way through, and they will tell you that if you hit, once you hit a hickory shaft at Club Pure, if you can find the sweet spot, and that's a big challenge for most of us, 
Uh, it nothing feels better in terms of hitting a golf. Has anyone tried it recently? It's as soft as not recently. I was lucky enough to play out at Muirfield of all, all courses about three years ago with a good friend of Mike, um, John Huggan, and he had a, a persimmon driver. He said we got onto about the sixth or seventh tee. He said you've got to have a go, and <laughs> I um, I did, and it was the softest thing. Like honestly, um, the technology, the modern technology, can't even compare. I hit. I played Hickory Golf last year, Andy, for the first time. I could not hit it over a jam tin. I was a complete moron with it. Lent the sticks at the end of the round to Sue O back at one of her uh, training visits back home to Melbourne, and she went out to about seventy-five metres. Had never felt a Hickory stick in her life. Grabbed. The, I'm not sure what it's called, the mashie or yeah, whatever yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Just grabbed it, nipped it, and spun it back to about three feet from seventy-five yards. First hit. So it's there if you've got the skills. If you've got the ability. We're about to catch up with a bloke who's still playing top-level professional golf in America, an Australian who I hope he doesn't get take offence when we get to him and he hears me say this. And I'm tipping a lot of Australian golf fans may not know the name Stuart Dean, but he teed it up in the Byron Nelson last week over on the PGA Tour and has been playing top-level PGA Tour golf for a long time. He's about to join us. But before we do, we should have a chat about that tournament and the way it played out. There were two really significant things that took place. One was that Billy Horschel beat Jason Day in a playoff. The backstory to where Billy Horschel's been and what he's been going through on a personal level was revealed after he won the tournament by his wife. And the second thing that we should talk about before we get to Stewie Dean was Jason Day's re- rediscovering the sort of golf, the 62, and, and getting back into contention, the sort of golf that we know that he's capable of playing. He's been through his own personal trials and tribulations in the last couple of months as well. But the Horschel story is a remarkable one, I reckon, Hazy. It is, Andy. Both stories actually have a sort of a similar element to them. In, in fact, they've overcome things off the course to get to the course and get their game back in shape. Horschel went off the radar. He won everything at the end of 2014, and we sort of just thought, oh, he was a bit of a flash in the pan, although this was his fourth tour event uh, victory this week. just gone. We hadn't seen anything of him for a while, and his wife comes out unbeknownst to uh, Billy Horshaw on the Monday afterwards and confesses to a you know severe case of alcoholism, and that she's made his life hell for the past two two or three years. And suddenly, from a golfing perspective, everything falls into place. That's why he's not doing so well, and he's been looking after their daughter and doing all sorts of things that you don't realise until you sort of delve a little bit deeper. And uh, obviously, with things rectified, she's been straight for a year now, I believe, dry. And, uh, you know, obviously things coming back together in his personal life and it's manifested on the course. Yeah, I must say, I'll reiterate what you say, Hazy, but what courage he has shown um, mm. throughout that time. And that's what sport's all about, overcoming adversity. And so it's terrific. It wasn't the script that the Aussies would have liked to have it, uh, with obviously Jason Day winning, uh, but... What what a what a great great champion! Amazing. Joe, watching the final round, um, they played alongside one another, and they seemed like I don't know Billy Horschel. I, I, we all got excited about him winning the FedEx Cup when he you know finished with the two victories in the playoffs back in twenty fourteen, like you mentioned, Hazy. He just seems like a cracking bloke. He and Day were. You know they were in great spirits. They were enjoying each other's great shots in the final round. They were getting up for one another when they when day holes out over that bunker with that little flop shot. Horschel was the, the most excited guy yeah. on the golf course, more excited than Jason Day. So to know that when you get the backstory, and I know you tweeted about this this week, and I'm sort of a bit keen to talk to you about that at some stage about getting to know more about the human being behind the player. It lets us enjoy their successes more. It lets us live through their challenges more. It makes them more real. It lets us connect with them a whole lot more, which means golf 
and whatever sport you're talking about becomes more accessible for the fan because you live the game through these people. So when Billy Horschel's wife comes out and says what she said um, so beautifully and honestly and courageously, like you said, I think that only makes us... Well, next time Billy Horschel tees it up, I'm really keen to watch him play. And I suppose now, today in the modern world, there's no better time than we've got so many mediums where they can reflect and and portray who they are uh, through Twitter or um, Instagram and the like. And we can see with the real being as opposed to what we, you know, we criticise sometimes um, on a screen. Spot on. Spot on. Yeah, I'll come, hopefully, hopefully we can come back and dig a bit deeper on that yeah, later. Yeah, we will. Um, just before we get to Stewie Dean, and hopefully he's got some patience. We, we should talk about Jason Day just really quickly. He's had his struggles. We know his mum has been getting some good news medically yeah. uh, in the last couple of weeks. So the pressure on him is being lifted, and hopefully it's going to manifest itself um, you know, in his performances. Yeah, well, he had a very severe back injury at the end of last year. It took him out of not only the Australian events at the end of the summer, but also the you know the big money events. So I don't think there's any qualms there that any axes that anyone should sort of hold over his head about that. But he obviously learned a lot sooner than the rest of us did about his mother's plight. And you know, Denning around Christmas was pretty much condemned to a you know a not such a long life. Yep. So anything between now and the surgery or then and the surgery that's uh, been a revelation for her and she's come back to Brisbane, she's resting well, no need for chemotherapy or anything like that, radiation therapy, anything. So it's been a remarkable success given she was actually given a terminal uh, prognosis. I think Jason Day's, you know, grown three inches in the last two or three weeks. It feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he didn't win and that's fine. You don't win every playoff. That's just natural, the nature of golf. But I suspect strongly that he's got his, uh, you know, his eyes back on the prize. Mark Leishman performed strongly as well. Unfortunately, there was an Aussie who didn't get through to the weekend, but he teed up, shot 70 in the opening round and 77 in round two, not to make the cut, of course, but he was out there and he's been out there for a long time and flying well and truly under the radar. I talk about Stuart Dean, who you told me about this week, Hazy, and I was embarrassed to suggest that, <laughs> to, tell, to admit that I hadn't heard much about him. He's been good enough to join us. On the very first Inside the Ropes, uh, Stuart, great to have you as part of the inaugural show, mate. Well, much appreciated having you go, having uh, having me on the show. Well, we're interested in your story. I mean, there's you know the front line is uh, you probably heard us talk a little bit about you know Jason Day and you know how Australia lives has been living through you know Adam Scott and um, you know Mark Leishman and others in the current generation. You've been playing alongside these guys almost anonymously from a domestic perspective back here. Tell us. Just a little bit about your backstory. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in Brisbane. Uh, lived uh, lived over there in Australia until about uh, 1997. I turned pro uh, pretty close to right out of high school. Played in the state junior team for Queensland and a few things like that. And then I uh, played through Asia. Had my uh, status over there in Australia. Played in Canada full time as a member. And then uh, I, I married a uh, Texan and uh, moved here in 1997 and uh, played some mini tours and those types of things over here until about uh, 2001. And uh, we were having difficulties having a baby, so uh, I quit playing for a while. And I worked at uh, Shady Oaks Country Club, uh, where Mr. Hogan was a member. I worked at uh, Royal Oaks Country Club, where uh, Randy Smith is the the head, well, I was the head pro, is now the full-time teaching pro. He was Justin Leonard's uh, teacher. Uh, and then I went back to playing in 2006, and uh, I won the Donald Trump uh, Million Dollar Challenge, and then I played about another 10 or so PJ Tour events, got my uh, web.com card, 
and uh, and then broke my hand uh, halfway through the season, and then I moved into into teaching. I was a PJ member in America, and then uh, I had one fellow I was teaching, and he went from about 1,200th in the world to 70th, won the uh, Puerto Rico Open on the PJ Tour, and did some of that, and, and now uh, I've transitioned into where I'm director of golf at a, at a university here called University of Texas Arlington, and uh, we're a Division One program, and I'm over both uh, men's and our, actually our future women's. We're just about to start competing uh, this next season uh, with our first ever women's golf team. I'm going to let you take so, a breath there, Stuart. That's, that's awesome. an amazing awesome story. story. Um, I was wanted to ask you about going back. Clearly, you're still best mates with him, but Donald Trump. There, I understand that that was a nine-hole shootout that you ultimately won in in the Caribbean. There, a million-dollar nine-hole shootout with Donald Trump handing out the check, and you got one of those dirty big, <laughs> you know, simulation checks, and it sort of helped bankroll you a bit through all the, the tribulations of becoming a professional golfer. Yes, pretty much. Uh, it was a uh, it was part of a mini tour over here that uh, they had ten events. Uh, I believe it was on the tour, and after the first two events, they kind of had it to where if you were, you know, the top ten, all expenses paid down to the island, and so on and so forth. And I'd been beaten in a playoff in the first two events, so I was all expenses paid, no entry, no nothing. And after uh, 54 holes of stroke play, they took the top ten, uh, number 11 through, got paid like a regular event, and then uh, the top ten then went and played a. Yeah, nine-hole shootout where if there was ties, you'd have a pitch-off or a putt-off to eliminate the guys on each hole, uh, you know. So, yeah, we started out, and I think I was in, uh, I want to say three eliminations, I think it was. Uh, got through all three, ended up uh, winning the last hole, and, yeah, I got uh, one of those happy Gilmore checks for <laughs> as well as a handshake. What did you do with the check? What, the actual well, fake one? on the wall. Yeah, it's up on my wall. Uh, I have a bar at the house, and so it's up there behind the bar with all my memorabilia for playing golf. That's so pretty awesome. That's very cool. That so, is pretty. So, Stuart, you've actually played. This wasn't your first bar in Nelson. You've been telling me uh, during the week. Um, you've qualified into it in numerous different ways, but tell us about the North Texas PGA. Yeah, so the uh, the Northern Texas PGA in the United States over here, we have. Uh, I think it's about, I don't know exactly off the top of my head, about 25 uh, what they call PGA sections because, of the, you know, within Texas, Texas is large. So they like having Queensland and having the northern Queensland and the southern Queensland. So I'm in the northern Texas section. And um, each section has their own stroke play events and those types of things for their members. So we have uh, four stroke play events and a, and a match play event as what we call our five majors. And within that, your section champion. So we have about 140 guys queued up for a 36-hole event, and, and the winner of the section championship gets a spot into the Byron Nelson. So any of the sections, like the Southern Texas, they'll have the uh, Valero Texas Open, uh, as well as the, uh, the so they have the Houston and the uh, and the San Antonio PJ Tour events that those guys can qualify into as well. So I've done it twice in our area. Uh, through our section as well as two times through the Monday qualifying process. That's awesome. So how many times a year would you be playing more if you could, Stu, or are you kind of happy with the balance that you've got at the moment? No, for me it's about perfect right now. I play, uh, depending on how I play, but I'll play approximately you know, eight to nine times You know, of anything that's substantial. We have our five tournaments within our 
Northern Texas PGA as well as our Texas State Open, uh, which is no different to maybe like a Queensland Open or something like that. Um, as well as I play, I've, I've played the last uh, seven or eight in a row our National PGA Championship, uh, which then if the top 20 in that qualify you to actually play the PGA Championship, the major. Yeah. So uh, I did that. I finished third in the National Championship in uh, 14. So I played in, at Bahala. Uh, in the PJ Championship there, and then through that as well, um, there's a two-year rolling point list, which uh, is exactly the same as the Ryder Cup process. Uh, so we have a Ryder Cup for the PJ of America. So I actually represented the United States <laughs> against Europe in the uh, PJ of America <laughs> side of it uh, in a in a Ryder Cup format. Your resume is getting longer <laughs> and longer. It's an awesome <laughs> life in golf. Yeah, so that was a pretty awesome experience. You know, it was a, it was awesome and odd at the same time because I am I have a green card. I'm not an American citizen, so I'm still all Australian. I don't have dual. Uh, so we actually were at the opening ceremony. They played, you know, God Save the Queen, and then which was on the other side of the aisle, and then on my side they played, you know, South Bengal Banner. So it was odd because when I grew up in, you know, in, in uh, primary school, it was back when we still had God Save the Queen. So I, I kind of. <laughs> There was a little bit of a mixed emotion there, but I didn't mind, you know, trying to beat the Pommies, that's for sure. I was going to ask you about that, Stewie. So sometimes in researching this, you know, we see an American flag next to your name and sometimes we see an Australian flag next to your name and it's clearly still passionate that you've uh, you've got the Southern Cross true to your heart. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, you know, there's, it's kind of, it's odd to go both ways in, in the sense that it's, it's always Australia. If I'm entering, you know, like the PGA when I played in it, it was definitely Australia. Uh, what happens when you play in like the Byron Nelson, you know, having representing the Northern Texas PGA, which is really what you're doing, you know, they'll typically put down that you live in Arlington, Texas, you know, yeah, so that's yeah. where that American flag gets put, put in there. Plus at the time, like especially this year, you know, I was representing the school that um, the director of golf has, so... Those types of things, it's almost by default they get put in there. You know, if, I, if ever I have the choice, it's always the Australian flag. So That's what we like to hear. Mate, I want to ask you about that in relation to the young kids coming through here. You mentioned you're at the University of Texas Arlington now, and that's a, a program that I think you believe has got, you know, capacity to help out young Australian golfers, um, you know, into the future and, and give them a path not only through golf but maybe into life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as, as as I've gone along, I've been there uh, almost two years now. Uh, you know, the uh, the American system here, especially I think for the young men and women now that we're having women start, um, it really truly gives you an opportunity to you know play golf, further your golfing, especially if you want to be on like the LPJ Tour or the PJ Tour or the Web dot com. Uh, you know, you come over with a Division One program, which is the highest in the nation. Um, you can play off, you know, four years. Uh, everything's basically like being on your state amateur team. You know, you get everything covered, uh, all your golf, all your practice, all your travel. You know, so you're on a team. And then with your university side of it, you know, depending on the level of golf that you come in at or your academic, you know, smarts, uh, you know, we can cover anywhere from zero to 100% of your whole entire uh, college life. So it's a, it's a fabulous way to not only learn how to play golf and see if you really want to cut it doing it that way, get acclimatized to America, which is incredibly different, uh, even though, 
you know, to both English-speaking countries, Australia and America, and then also get a college degree that if you decide, hey, you know what, golf in life isn't for me, you can go back home or stay in America or go wherever, but you've got a college degree behind you. It's a fa- Look, it's an unbelievable story. You've got last one before we do let you go. Who was the guy who you took from 1,200 to 70 and who won the Puerto Rico Open? Who, who was that guy you were coaching? It was uh, Derek Lamley, L-A-M-L-E-Y, yep. L-A-M-E-L-L-Y. Yeah, he ended up with about three or four surgeries on his thumb and, Ended up, uh, you know, probably still on a medical now, but uh, yeah, fabulous player. You know, hit it long, straight, high, and and uh, we actually travelled together on the web dot com. And when I got hurt, and just kind of by default, we uh, we started working together. And Derek was an awesome player. Just you know, like a lot of guys, you get the injuries go the wrong way, and it shortens your career. Stewie, I've got to ask you one last one too, mate, I'm afraid. Uh, you you were, came up through the ranks with John Sandon and Rod Pampling and those guys up in Queensland. And I know you had the chance to bump into Sendo at, at the Byron Nelson, yeah. uh, and he's obviously undergoing some pretty harrowing times at the moment with his young son Jacob having a tumour that they're fighting desperately. Can you just fill us in as much as you can on, on how Sendo's going and how Jacob's going? Yeah, we got to uh, got to visit with them the other day. It was just by chance um, but Sendo and I grew up playing, you know, golf together uh, under the tutelage of Ian Triggs. So we've known each other for 30 years or so. And uh, I was out having lunch at the Nelson, and uh, he and Jacob came through actually with Sammy Rod's, uh, Rod Pentong's little boy. And, and uh, you know, for all, you know, best that, you know, John would sort of say that they're doing okay. Uh, Jackie has her mom and her, and her sister over uh, helping out. You know, they've got a, a long road in front of them. You know, John's, as, uh, in his words, he's, he shut it down out there on the PJ Tour at least until the end of the year. Um, you know, they've basically got six months' worth of, uh, you know, treatments to get through and, and go from there. But, uh, you know, they're an amazing family and uh, just, you know, amazing people. So, you know, fingers crossed, everybody, uh, you know, I'm sure around the, around the world and the golfing community is, you know, got their best thoughts and wishes for him. So uh, he's, a, you know, he's an amazing guy and so is his family. Here, here. Uh, everybody here would um, obviously endorse those thoughts. Stuart, uh, it's a great story. Hopefully everybody listening uh, now knows who you are and what you've done uh, for the game, and uh, hopefully there's a lot more. Hopefully the best chapter in your game hasn't been written yet, mate. Thanks so much for uh, joining us on Inside the Ropes. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Stuart Dean, what a life. <laughs> Honestly, when you said oh. – when you, I, I went and had, had a look at his bio. I, I, hand on heart, I don't know about you, Joe, but I watch a lot of golf. I'd never heard of Stuart Dean before. No, either had I, and I reckon I'll have to live to 150 to achieve all that he has in his lifetime. Yeah. No, very remarkable, and as you said, hopefully he can kick on now and we can see see his name in shining light. It's one of the the great things about pro golf. I mean, you don't have to be a world top 20 player to have an amazing life. You might might need to be that to be a zillionaire, but, you know, he's had a tremendous life and his experiences are so vast. Yeah, exactly. What a character. Yeah. Did you ever, you're the best credential golfer amongst the three of us in this room um, and you had some amateur successes. Did you ever think about um, college golf in America? College golf, no. I, I picked up the game quite late. I was still off a handicap of about 14 when I was 18, so Jeez. wasn't on my on my radar at that point. Had I been where I was maybe when I was in my early 20s, when I was 18, yes, yep. I definitely would have considered it because I did go to uni and I'm actually back at uni now. I hold um, education, um, well, my dad's a principal so I suppose I have to yes. uh, with great importance 
But so yeah, to answer your question, no. Yeah. But I, it's definitely something that I would recommend that kids consider um, as a, as a as a pathway. Did a you when pathway. you were growing up? Did you know that it was even a possibility? Uh, vaguely, but oh. to, to me, it was more like basketball, and that was about it. Because you watch the NCAA, yeah. you know, Sweet Sixteen sort of stage tournaments from there on. But I didn't realise the scope of what was available now. Mm. I shot seventy one when I was about fifteen at Malvern Valley. It's past 64, so let's not get too excited. <laughs> but I shot 32 on the back nine. Best round I've ever had, right? In yeah. my entire, to this day, by a long way, the best round I've ever had. In, just in terms of a pure number. It's a you know, tiny track. But had I known that college golf existed when I was 15, or whatever age I was back then, I, I would have gone home and said, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I was so excited about what I'd just done that I would have, I would have demanded, sell the house, mum and dad. You've got to get me over and play. This is what I've... This, that would have been my aspiration from that point so forward. You would have walked off the 18th at Malvern Valley Malvern and, and Valley. rung Stanford. Get me well, yes. Whatever the what is the golf program in America? Uh, I don't well, know what the best golf program is. Well, America. I mean, it might even be Stanford. It might be Stanford. Yeah, yeah. it would be up there. Yeah, there's a handful of really good ones, but uh, that's that's right in the mix. But that's what you would have done. Oh, no doubt. Oh, wow. no doubt. I wouldn't have made it. I would have been a bust, but I would have had a go. It would have been good fun trying. Um, Let's get back to Australians on the big tours around the world. And listening to Stuart Dean, yeah. I was thinking that Alvaro Quiros could have been, in a roundabout way, a Stuart Dean kind of clone had what happened to him on the weekend not happened. He has had, in terms of a guy losing his game, he has had one of the great falls from grace you could ever possibly imagine. Now, I don't know the backstory. He apparently just lost all aspects of his game. He forgot how to swing and he had no short game and... He plunged. He, he had, in 2011, I made some notes when I was, knew we were going to be talking about this. He, was, he finished 2011 22nd in the world. Since then, he's had nine top tens from 115 starts. He slumped to 703 in the world. Um, he missed the cut in four of his five previous starts going into what was the oldest Sicilian Open on the weekend, the Rocco 40, which has just recently come back onto the European Tour. It was off the schedule over there for four or five years. And somehow burps all over himself on the back nine, <laughs> shoots 40 on the back nine with three bogeys and a double. To some, I don't know whether you guys are watching this. It was excruciating to watch. Somehow he's got over the line and held on, beat Xander Lombards and Pep Anglaus. But he could, have been, he could have been lost to the game, this fella. Yeah, I actually watched him play at the Masters in 2013 when he was still up and about. And he was in feature groups and he's yes. one of those guys that they're talking about just the new era of just bashing the ball domination of courses and things. And you just think this guy is, you know, he's a huge Spanish guy. He's well built, crushes the ball. You just think this, the world's his here. The world is his. So it's staggering to see a person lose it like that. And I mean, at the top level, technically they are all, you know, just a class and it just becomes between the years. Uh, Obviously he's a perfect case of that. He would have been completely relieved. I reckon when, he finally got that that win in the the second playoff hole. Like, he's obviously going to be totally ecstatic now, but he would have been completely re- relieved that he'd f- just got across the line. So, watching the interview afterwards, it was relief was like right there. It was in, written all over his face. But even still, he was he was a bit embarrassed. Like he was even a bit embarrassed about winning it the way he won it. And there's a bit to that, I reckon. Like pro golfers are pretty hard on themselves in terms of the way they execute and get the job done. And he would know that there would have been hundreds of thousands of people watching that. And despite the fact that they'd be delighted they'd walk away having seen 
and he seems like a likable bloke, win a tournament and break this horrible run of outs, he'll know that people would be having the sort of conversation that I'm trying to have with you two about (laughs) the fact that he was just horrible, the way he closed it. Like, he was hitting it left and right into rubbish. He got lucky on a couple of occasions, missing dead shrubs. Like, he was, in the end, he was really lucky to get away with that. I really think that you can put burping back in the lexicon. <laughs> I think we need to. Uh, from an Australian perspective, fantastic. Jason Scrivener, who continues yeah. just to quietly go about plying his trade over in Europe. He's, he's, I, don't, I don't know. I've never spoken to Jason. I don't know whether – I'm sure you would have at many occasions, Hazy. But he seems like a really professional, well-organized young man. He, he just looks like he's got his head screwed on the right way. Yeah, he had some issues a couple of years ago, and he's back on track now. And he's, He is a very solid professional golfer. He doesn't spend much time in Australia, um, does all the things. He's got a, you know, an African background, so he does a lot of time on the Sunshine Tour yeah, as well as yeah. European Tour. So uh, he's a very likable guy, and you know, it's, it's almost a matter of time until he sort of puts his name up in lights a little bit more, I think. If he can stick at it, he's, he's that smarter player. So he finished tie fifth, fifth, 11 under, alongside Marcus Fraser, who hasn't played for nearly three months. Um, he said, we'll, we'll actually hear from him towards the end of the show. He caught up with um, the boys on RSN Breakfast, and we'll play you a little bit about that. But he talked a lot about the tennis elbow that he's developed. On both elbows? On both elbows, yeah. I've never heard of such a thing, but excruciating, I imagine. Well, have you ever had it? No, no, no. You can't, sh- you can't shake your hand. You, to cl- make a fist... It hurts like hell. So yeah. gripping on a golf club and executing what he needs to execute on a daily basis, hundreds, hundreds and thousands of times, uh, can't pos- can't have been it. Well, it must have been impossible. Well, he said on RSN that he couldn't physically wrap his, you know, close his hands around the grip, and then he definitely couldn't pick it up, putting any stress on it at all. So, you know, physically unable to pick up a club for ten weeks. It's it's remarkable. And here he got his uh, backside handed to him at uh, Kingswood a couple of days ago. No, I was at Peninsula on the New South down there. So no, no, he got me well and truly covered. <laughs> but there's a, there's a salient point out there for all forty year old people, men and women who might be listening to this, and you think, you know, you want to get a bit fitter and maybe get a bit more power into your game. I don't know. If, I've known Fraser for a few years now, but I don't know what he was like when he was, you know, a young fella. But I'm going to tip that he didn't do too much time in the gym. I don't know whether a gym session and weights were all that important to Fraser. Jim Beam, maybe. Maybe. And after one of his many, many successes, um, <laughs> and he's had a fine, fine career. But a little birdie tells me that he's at 40 or approaching 40. Um, he's decided to add some, like a weight regime to his um, preparation. And that's what's led to the tennis elbow. So critical error being made right there. Steer clear of the weights, whatever. Do not go <laughs> just, near. Just keep yeah. doing what you're doing, Fraze. Exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. So they teed up um, in Wentworth this week, which is, as far as the European Tour goes, the PGA Championship over there is one of the most keenly anticipated tournaments um, of every year on the European Tour. Yeah, the flagship event of the European Tour and, and part of the new Rolex series, which is the, you know their answer to the FedEx Cup. So this is a big tournament this week. It's got a great field. So, uh, you know, best of luck to Fraze there if he can sort of somehow keep it together. And, um, you know, who knows? He's just got that sort of game and Wentworth's a course that should suit him. Yeah, he hits it straight. Yep. You know, he's got a great short game. So it's tight. If you miss the fairways there, there's... Forest all over the place you can hit it into. So I agree with you. A, a couple of other things around the world before we get on to the domestic stuff. Um, Jamie Arnold is a name that we – should we keep an eye on this bloke? He's just starting to do some things on the web. He's not winning and he's not getting into top tens, but 
is he just starting to find his feet in America? He seems to be posting some reasonable results on the web.com tour. Yeah, I think he's threatened to before. And, you know, he's from a family that's done some amazing things. He, I think their dad's a, a pro in, at Cronulla, maybe. Yeah. And he's, you know, Scott's done some good things. And I think I, I want to say that the, their sister, their younger sister, won a club championship just recently at Cronulla. So famous family in golfing terms, but maybe he's the, you know, has turned the corner. He definitely seems like his results are more consistent. So let's keep an eye on him. And maybe this one to you, Joe. Uh, Hannah Green has had a, another, she had a great result on the Symmetra Tour, which for, I'm sure everyone listening knows what it is, but the secondary tour for women uh, behind the LPGA. Tied for 11, four really good rounds, finishes with a 69. So she's got better. That was her best round the longer the week went. Um, adjusting to life over there would be you know difficult, I imagine. So I can't imagine she's got a massive entourage over with her. I know the Golf Australia would be sort of helping her, but... Um, that's a really positive result, I would imagine. It doesn't surprise me with Greeny, though. I, I played a lot of amateur golf with Greeny. She had a great head head on it. She was honestly a very, very mature young girl. She's probably 19 or 20 now. I think she's 20 now. Going on 25 yeah, plus, yeah, I right, reckon. Okay, yeah. She could probably take me. Um, so it doesn't really surprise me. She's very consistent. Obviously, she's still in the top 10 in the money list. And I think we'll see more and more of Greeny. It's a good sign, isn't it? It is. It really is. And she had played her first LPGA Tour event at the Women's Australian Open at Royal Adelaide. And just before Hana Jang went nuts late in the day, she had a sneaky chance. Mm. She could have won the Women's Australian Open. That's a bit far-fetched maybe. But she finished top 10 and Mm. and just isn't out of her depth at any level. And I think that's a great sign of what lies ahead, Joe. Oh, most certainly. Really, everyone should stay tuned. Some interesting news with Hana Jang, which we'll get to before we wrap this up in sort of just the other bits and pieces that we'll cover off before we get to the end. Uh, Asian Tour, Thailand Open, just the same old names, continue to <laughs> rack up top 10, top 20 finishes. Over there. Terry Pilkadaris continues to just go over there and play good, solid golf. He finishes tied six and Scotty Hen tied six as well. So um, there's, there's one thing I noticed preparing for this. There is so much golf. Golf being played in so many corners of the world, and Australians are chipping away all over the place. If if you don't have a potty podcast like this, or you're not a scourer of um, websites, it's very very difficult. I know GA does a great job trying to, and the PGA of Australia keep, does a fantastic job keeping us up to date. But there is so much golf being played by so many Australian pros all over the world, men and women. It's pretty hard to keep your finger on the pulse of it. Yeah, it is. Ben Eccles is fighting away on the secondary tour mm-hmm. in Europe. Well, tell and... us about the thing that he nearly well, he nearly got into a quarterfinal of some bizarre tournament. Yeah, it was a little match play knockout thing, and he, he, he progressed through to the last eight, I believe. I, I stand to be correct Maybe 16, there. I reckon. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. He, I mean, another great job from a, a guy trying to make his way to a bigger, bigger stage um, and seems more often now, Benny, to be putting a best foot forward on the weekends. And that's a huge sign. He got that crazy start in one of the Sunshine Tour events a few weeks ago and made a great fist of it. Um, So I think his time's going to come too. And, you know, talking about going around the world, there were the guys in uh, in Japan Japan. who did a great job and um, not only uh, more prominent names such as uh, Brad Kennedy, who's forged his way back up into the top 130 or so in the world just through great consistent results in Japan. But Todd Sinnott and Kurt Barnes and all these guys continue to, well, Todd's hopefully on his way up and, and Kurt's still making a buck over there. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right, just everywhere. Matty Griffin, the Mizuno Open, that's still considered one of the Japanese kind of majors, I imagine, that's on this week. That's one of their yeah. sort of stellar tournaments on their tour up there. Um, what about domestically? We've got, um, there's still a lot of, well, there's a little bit of hiatus takes place now in terms of the PGAs and I think the next 
sort of major tournament from a domestic front is probably Fiji. There's a little bit of a break between the Pro-Am tours will keep rolling around the place. Yep. And there's, if they come to your neck of the woods, you should go and have a look. There's a lot of good... Like Ash Hall's teeing it up, mm. yeah. so shooting 66 and tying in one of the Pro-Ams I read the result of during the week. So a lot of good players playing in a lot of these Pro-Am tournaments around the place, just keeping their game in check and... Um, trying to earn a buck. Yeah, too right. We saw Jimmy win on, on the weekend with scores of 70, 68, 70, and 68 in 42-kilometre wins, I believe, on, the, on yeah. the last day. So you're right. It's in our backyard. Whilst that was at Kalgoorlie, it's not the easiest place yeah, to no, get to. Stay tuned. I'm sure there's going to be some uh, great events that come up locally as well. It's, it's amazing to have the chance to go to the Pro-Ams as well. You mentioned, Andy. Uh, the guys are so willing, and the girls when they're out and about there too, um, to share their game and and uh, give you a couple of tips. Oh, you know, it's amazing when they're playing for their livelihood. These people, to how generous they are with their mm. spirit and their advice, it's it's great. They've got a passion for golf. And Dimi Papadatos, you brought up Joe. He's a great one there. He's a, another guy who sort of fell off the radar after a big win two or three years ago in New Zealand. Came back, won the Vic Open, the Oates Vic Open down at 13th Beach this year, and he's going from strength to strength. I think he's a guy who's got his head, finally, yep. I, sorry, I would say that to his face if he was sitting here, but finally he's got his head screwed on. I think uh, he's honest with himself too, yeah. especially after this week. He said, look, I'm ready to go to Europe now, yep. and um, I've got the confidence to um, hopefully execute it. The good thing about him, and there's a bit of a thing that happens with pro golfers, you can either be a guy that makes a lot of cuts, you know, hardly ever misses a cut, but never contends. You can be that guy, and you can probably or girl, and you can make you know probably make a pretty good living if you're doing it on one of the big tours. You can probably make a reasonable living doing that, or you can be Dimi Papadatis. And, and I'm only taking his recent body of work as an example of this. He either b- blows it left and right and doesn't make the cut, or he wins. He's and and that I don't know which sort of career you'd rather have, but if his last six tournaments starts to anything to go by. One, miscut, miscut, tied six, tied 62, one. So when he gets in the frame, he sticks his nose right in the frame. And that is, from a professional golfer's perspective, that shows a couple of things. Either either you've got enormous talent, which I think everyone who's seen him play knows he's got. But the other thing it shows is that he doesn't mind when it's really hot. Like when, when it's the pressure's right on, and you are contending, and he's going to hopefully contend in bigger tournaments, the ones that we're talking about here. Um, but he, he doesn't shy away from that, which I think is a really important asset for a professional, well, any golfer really, but particularly if you're trying to make a living out of it, it's a really important asset to have. He knows it's his strength, and as you're saying, it is a very important strength to have, to be able to go low, um, to either put yourself back into contention um, or lead the pack as he does, you know, I, does I, well. Further to that... Um there's a generation of these guys and girls coming mm. through here, Andy. It really is. Um, you know, we mentioned Hannah. She's a great closer. Um, we've seen what Minji and Sue have done over the past few years. But there's guys coming through now. Um, Jared Felton finished in the top 10 in Kalgoorlie as well. Um, he is just a winner. He, he, he's not going to contend every week. He'll be the first to tell you. But he's a winner. He'll stick his nose out in the photo finish and get the job done. And that's what we want. That's absolutely what we want. If one of these guys can get in contention in a major somewhere and stick their nose out at the right time, they're set for life. Well, that's it, isn't it? Yep. That's, that's the thing. Um, we're going to speak to a, a guy who had a fantastic local story, Marty Carmichael. I, mean, I know you did the piece on him uh, for Golf Australia. We'll get him on the line in a moment. But um, before we finish kind of wrapping up what's happened during the week, Kingsmill, which is you know 
terrific tournament on the LPGA Tour. Alexi Thompson blows him out of the water. When she's on, she's very, very hard to beat. She's, you know, obviously a really athletic player who's got, you know, all parts of her game covered when she's hot. What happened with Minji Lee in this tournament, Joe? What's what's the backstory here? Look, I'm reading between the lines. I couldn't actually see her scorecard up online, but I believe she finished double bogey. Uh, I know that. So in the heat of the moment, she was obviously a bit hot-headed. Um, and 101, Minji, she forgot to sign her scorecard. We see this so often. Um, look, there's no excuse, really. Um, she'll be <laughs> kicking herself now. Um, Golf 101, please sign your scorecard. Yeah. When you say it happens so often, does it happen often with – has she got a reputation for losing her head when things don't finish well? Or is this oh, something that – No, no, no. Not no, not her. No, 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 no. Not, not, not that. But I'm just – there's always – I mean, I remember down at the Oats Vic Open a couple of years ago, we had a course record in the first round. I've forgotten his name. You might remember Hazy. Jack. No, just just escape <laughs> no. me. That yeah, someone no, else. Someone else. It wasn't a good segue. Send, no, send the tweet in uh, at inside the ropes. If whoever knows who that person was that you're talking about, Joe. Was it Gillespie? Gillespie. Yeah, that's right. And an outstanding he, course, work by you. Course record. I forgot to sign his scorecard. In, obviously, in in excitement, sort of dropped it off and ran. But yeah, look, just simple stuff. Simple stuff. You got to do it. I, I've got a different take on that. I, mean, I obviously agree with what uh, what needs to happen for the players, Joe, but I think it's pretty poor form from the LPGA Tour scorers not to just say, um, Minji, can you just come back here for a second? Because she's only got a couple of metres before she steps out of the critical zone. But when you go in there, there's not many things you've got to do. I mean, the old hashtag, you've got one job, probably never more apt than for the scorers to go, Yep, that adds up, and there's my signature. And that realistically, that's what they're doing. And I think, you know, clearly the onus is on the player, and Minji would be the first to put her hand up and say she was wrong, and it cost her 25 US probably, roughly. But I think it's a poor result from the scorers in that. Yeah, and I agree with that, yeah. Intervene? Oh, you just got to say, oh, Minji, we need your yeah, John yeah. Hancock here, yeah, you know, yeah. come back. Yeah. It, yeah. T- it takes two seconds, and she'll go, oh, thanks so much. You've just saved me 25 grand. It's it's a really simple thing. Mm. Uh, uh, it's it's inexcusable for a professional golfer to do it, but there's still there should be backstops and backdrops there from the LPGA. I would have thought so. Uh, tell me just quickly. Tell me about the Marty Carmichael story from a from a very local level. Uh, we'll get into the details with him in a second. Mm. But he is a guy who is a, an intermittent golfer at best, but yet somehow amazingly to me, and we'll talk about this, is off plus six. Plays once a month. He's off plus six. And he's gone out at Castle Hill in the western suburbs of Sydney with a few mates a couple of days ago and just peeled off a lazy 58. 58? 14 under par, 58. 12 birdies, one eagle. One of the more extraordinary rounds in Australian golf. And it's not off the tips. It's not off the Tiger Tees. But it barely matters. Yeah, it doesn't matter, it do, it doesn't doesn't matter, matter. where that comes it, from. He's Mr. 58, whether he likes it or not. Oh, that yeah. is just uh, I can't wait brilliant. to talk to him. He's a really laconic guy. You can't believe... That a guy who plays so little golf is so good. So another couple of bits and pieces before we wrap it up. This is sort of the general news that's been happening in the last couple of days and certainly in the last couple of weeks before. We've had the opportunity to do our first one. And I wanted to speak to you two about this. Tigers, this, we're recording this podcast on Thursday morning and Tigers put out um, a tweet, some social media information about where he's at. Where's he actually at at the moment? What's, what's the latest about Tigers kind of update on his physical stature? Well, we, we've all heard that, you know, he's, I'm coming back, I'm going to be bigger than this, I'm going to contend again. But I don't think I've ever heard such positive direct language as he's, as he's put out this weekend. He, so he's had a, a full-on surgery as opposed to just sort of 
the smaller versions. I don't know what the band aid fix. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't know if you have you know small back surgeries, but that's what he's had previously. Uh, and he's been told he must rest. He can't have any you know niggles and turns and twists. He's he's laying very very low, but he says for the first time since all this trouble flared, he's pain free and he can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And he said unequivocally. I want to play professional and win professional golf again. And he thinks this is the path for it to happen. So haven't heard that language from him. We've heard some positive Mm -hmm. stuff, but normally it's intermingled with, pardon me, but it's crap from his manager who's just trying to keep the home fires burning. This time it's... And the the till ticking over. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and there's no no better person at it than his manager. So, look, face value... Probably seems like Tiger will be back, but it still won't be for six months, and we won't know whether he can contend again. That's a whole different question. Golf still need him. We do love Tiger. From a marketing point of view, Tiger is, and we can all thank him. I think he has brought so much to the game. It would be great to see him back at the top of top of the tree. No doubt. You and I have spoken about this in other forums for a long time now, Hazy. Yeah. Both on and off the record, <laughs> do we? Do you still of the view that it's, he's done? He's yeah. cooked. Yeah, the fork's been put in him, and there's no whacking the air back in the balloon. Correct. It's hard to see. I mean, what is he now? He's over the wrong side of forty with all the physical issues he's had. It would be. I mean, it's almost. It's he's, almost impossible for him to get back to where he well where he was. Certainly. He's forty two in December, mm. uh, and that's roughly when he's envisaging a comeback. So I'm assuming he might come back at his own tournament there over in the Bahamas. Uh, I, that's a that's a pure guess. Don't anyone quote me on that one, please. Mm. Um, I I think that if you think about Jack Nicklaus and who didn't have that many physical elements, especially in the latter part of his career, winning at forty six, and there's a hullabaloo about that, and with nothing wrong with him, and the, and he didn't have near the depth of players that Tiger Woods is confronting, True. and the technology that he's uh, up against, and the the way the guys. He, one of the assets of his game, great putter, great chip, or whatever, was his strength and his length off the tee. He is now in the bottom half of distance on the in the tour, which shows you the progression of the game. I I think one of his strengths is gone, and he's definitely not that um, immovable force off the leaderboard that he once was. People don't fear him; they don't fear him at all. Uh, I think that's going to take a long time to come back, and I don't think it ever will, to be honest. I want to talk to you about Hana Jang in a moment, and get you know, sort of if there's a backstory to what's happened with her withdrawing herself from the LPGA tour. I want to talk to you about that in a moment, Joe, and you too, Hazy, but. One of the other stories that rolled around um, a couple of weeks ago was that Danny Willett sacked his caddy. Oh, sorry, it was sacked by his caddy. Now, we hear of players getting rid of their caddy all the time, but rarely do we hear that a caddy has sacked the player. In this case, it's even more extraordinary because the caddy was a lifelong friend of Danny Willett. They grew up together. He was on the bag at Augusta. He's been on his bag the whole way through. And something came to pass that saw that relationship so broken that the caddy walked away. After one round in a particular tournament, he said, that's it, I've had enough, you're cooked. Um, it's done. It, you don't hear that very often. I thought we'd get a friend, or hope a man who's going to become a friend of the podcast, of course, Steve Potts, Shags, a.k.a. They've all got a nickname. No caddy can be without one. Uh, who's been on the bag of you know, plenty of plenty of plays to give us maybe a read on how this can actually happen. And Stephen Potts joins us on the show. Pottsy, how are you, mate? Good morning. How are you guys? Good, mate. Thanks for joining us in Inside the Ropes. Um, how does this happen? How does how what what do, how bad must the player be treating a caddy um, when you're making the sort of bread that Willett's making um, for the caddy to drop the bag after one round of a tournament and quit? Well, I think it mainly comes down to 
you know, you're obviously being paid great money, so that keeps you around longer than probably what you want to that you want to expect it anyway. Um, I think mainly because, you know, in his uh, in his case, you've got to think that, you know, you said they're lifelong friends. Well, maybe maybe it's just starting to have a lot to do with their friendship, and he thought, well, I'd rather have him as a friend than a boss, than being, and being treated um, terribly. So how is it? How difficult is it to keep that relationship going? I mean, you look at. I don't know, we always talk about sort of Bones and Phil when it comes to, you know, long relationships that don't seem to have been stressed to breaking point. Is it a difficult, is that a difficult relationship? If you do happen to become mates with the bloke, is that a difficult relationship to manage, being employed by the bloke, travelling with him as often as these fellas do, um, and still maintaining that kind of um, professional relationship? Yeah, I think the Bones and Phil um, things are a bit different because, I think they, they don't have a lot to do with each other away from the golf course, but they're obviously good friends, so that makes it a bit easier. But I think the Willett and his um, and his caddy, I think it would probably be because on their weekends and when they're back in England and having a week off, they probably still catch up, so it probably starts getting a little bit too too hard all round. I mean, look, I know, I mean, look, I mean, I obviously lived with Peter O'Malley and caddy for him on and off for 10 years, and yeah, it was great, but I used to just get away from him for a week when I had a week off and stuff, because it does start to um, take its toll on the relationship on and off the court. When you're in the grind of a tournament and a player thinks you've given him a bad yardage, and I don't know whether you can remember a time when this happened with you, but it seems no, to be that was... I've never given one of them. But how... Like, it seems to be that was the final straw that broke the camel's back on this one. Um, that, you know, that, that Willett claims that the, the caddy gave him a, a bad read, a bad, a bad number. Um when you're in the heat, how stressful can getting through that moment be? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously, giving a bad number is obviously the, the worst thing you can do in your job. It's, it's worse than giving a bad club because, obviously, that leads to having a bad club anyway. But, um, look, yeah, look, it's pretty... Under the under the pump, it's, it's pretty hard. And, and maybe maybe he's done this, you know, and there's a few caddies that do it. Maybe he's done this a few times. And because of the relationship of them being mates, um, he's, he's probably let it go a few more times than probably what he should have. Maybe he's decided uh, now it was time to have a go at him about something a bit more and mm. maybe the caddy couldn't really handle it. But, um, yeah, look, you know, Hayes, you know, you know once, you're, once you're out there in the, under the heap, you know, they want a Masters together, which is pretty impressive. So um, he obviously knows what he's doing. But, you know, also some caddies um, that come out now that, that caddies for the caddy for their mates and they've never done it before you know they get away with it for a fair while until the player realizes that you know what he probably doesn't really know what he's doing but i gave him a chance because he's a friend so shags i'm i'm really interested you're you're not one to pull any punches at all never, i'm really interested in your, in your thoughts on danny willett specifically like as a golfer as he run his race after one win yeah look I, I don't but but just by i mean he wasn't really out there when i was in europe so um I don't really know the guy at all, but the Australian caddies I've spoken to, he, he's not a he's not the most well liked guy on tour with the caddies anyway. Um, so maybe maybe that's just his, maybe he's just one of those personalities which um, you know he's into himself a little bit more than what people <laughs> want him to be. Have you ever sacked a player? Yeah, I have. I've sacked. Oh. Peter O'Malley twice. Right. Taking me back. No, if you, if you, if but you, yeah, could... it was all in. It was all in good jest. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't because I didn't like him. I wanted to try something different. And obviously, went and worked for a couple of different guys. But uh, look, he, he took it great. But you know, players don't take it well. Uh, that's that's the problem. That we're expected to take it pretty well when we get back. Exactly. So, 
um, you know, that's, that's just part of the game. That, that's never going to change. So in saying that about um, Danny Willett there, Steve, do you, do you believe that it is perhaps a dip in form that has led to this, that he doesn't want to take ownership and to sort of pass that on to his, to his caddy? It's a pretty easy easy way out. Well, it is, it is an easy choice if, uh, if you're not playing well. But I think he's had a few injuries not long after the Masters. Um, what's that? That's two years ago now. So he's had a few injuries coming along as well. But look, we all know... Um, you're the first person that goes. Normally, it's the coach or the caddy, and then the wife's normally the third one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but we, uh, but look, but that's that's just part of the job. I mean, we've all been fired um, once or twice, but um, that's just uh, yeah, that's just the way it goes, I suppose. But yeah, he maybe is used that as an excuse for not playing well. And last one before we do let you go: When should Collingwood re-sign Nathan Buckley and give him another three or four-year contract? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I'm not going on that one. <laughs> right. Hey, mate, thanks for joining us. Hopefully we'll be able to right. catch up with you on the podcast on the way through. Yeah, anytime, mate. Good on you. Stephen Potts, it's a, it's a bizarre situation, isn't it? And I reckon yeah. you're right, Joe. I reckon they are scapegoated, these blokes. I mean, they do all the hard work and they get scapegoated time and time again. Man, I know so many golfers that do not take ownership for, you know, their own asset, which is just them, basically. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we're talking about Marty. Go on. No, I was just... I could talk ad nauseum about some of the things I've heard with Rob Allenby and his caddies oh, over the, and I don't think we've got enough time even on a podcast we'll to dedicate one whole podcast to that yeah and, and, and the way that they, they get treated for some things that the players are clearly responsible for sometimes is outrageous Shags hopefully becomes a regular visitor on this program because yeah. his insights from literally from inside the ropes are phenomenal because um, you know they are the ones who know exactly what's going on out there and what the players are going through. But the, Joe's one hundred percent right. The ownership's not always uh, where it should be. It's a two-way relationship. It's got to go player, caddy, caddy, player. Yeah, it's spot on. Got to go both ways. Um, I don't know whether Mister Fifty Eight had a caddy with him. He probably didn't. But we've got him on the line. You meet, you're talking about Marty Carmichael before, and he's been good enough to join us on Inside the Ropes. Um, mate, thanks for being part of the first show. Uh, and what a note to start it off on. Fifty eight. Yes, it was uh, it was a good day. Good morning, boys and girls. Good morning. You're making it sound awfully easy. A yeah, good day. <laughs> it, 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 you know what? It was easy. It was just got stressful. The closer and closer I got, it just got more stressful. But uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a stressful day. I could say it. it I sunk a few putts here and there, not not of any great length, but uh, you know, I hit it to ten foot for most of the day, and you know, they just kept going in. Marty, before you walk us through a few of the holes and your highlights, perhaps, can you tell us, can you talk our listeners here through what happened before you even got to the course? It was a rainy day in the west of Sydney, and your mates nearly backed out on you. One did pull out, and the other guy doesn't uh, play at all if there's a cloud in the sky. (laughs) He just did not want to get out of bed, but uh, I convinced him, and, you know, thanks to those two guys, it just happened to be one of those days. When did you start counting? Um, when I was five after after five holes, and I had about an eight-footer for another birdie to go six, then I thought, you know, I was some sort of chance of, you know, shooting 60, but, you know. And when did your knees start knocking? <laughs> um, after I missed that one, I made one on the next hole. So then... I thought, you know, it was getting closer and closer and closer. Then I held a 20-footer for Eagle, and then, you know, I was shaking by this time, <laughs> which is unusual, but I was shaking. 
And Castle Hill, Castle Hill's not a Mickey Mouse no, course. No. This is a legitimate course for all those who haven't played there. Um, how was it set up? Was it was it there to get, or have you just you just flushing it? What's the go here? By the time you're in the middle of the back nine, yeah. Well, the t- the tees were probably middle, you know, but the, some of the pins were way back. Where you know, on the par threes, they were quite difficult on the back. Um, and then you know, just a couple of decent shots where. You know, the par, I hit it on virtually three par fours, so that made you know, life a little bit easier. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was just one of those days, and it was was good that it happened. I suppose I can't; it'll never happen again. But <laughs> Marty, tell us about the, the the one that got you to thirteen under, because that's clearly the critical figure in breaking the sixty. Tell us th- tell us the putt you you nailed to get to thirteen. Yeah, so the first hole at Castle Hill, because we tee off four tees at Castle Hill, so I teed off on the fourth hole, which is only a tiny little um, par four. So then we got back to the first hole, which I had three holes to go and I was 12 under. I was never going to birdie the second hole, which was my 17th, and the 18th hole was the third hole, which is very difficult. So I thought if I just ease one down the fairway to par five, I thought I was a chance to make him birdie, but... I hit it in the trees, and I thought, you know, it was gone then. But uh, I hit it out and chipped it up to about a foot, and then, you know, it was a it was an easy putt to go to 13, thank God. How close have you been to 60 before, Marty? Uh, I've had 61 a few times, um, and I've had 62 probably half a dozen times. So, yeah, it's uh, – but it was just, you know, once I got to 13, I was uh, – I was. I, I thought that was good enough. That's so. <laughs> good enough. Oh, get, and oh, you may as well get, keep going on the fourteenth birdie now, or the twelfth birdie oh, the, yeah. to get to fourteen under. Well, yeah, that, the past three, the seventeenth hole is quite a difficult hole, and I don't <laughs> play that hole too well. So there's water on the left. So I thought if I could get it anywhere near the green, I could chip and putt it. But I hit it on, and then two putted, and then all the pressure was off. I thought so. I I absolutely uh, hit one up the eighteenth hole. And I had 100 metres left in, and the pin was back left. I hit a sand wedge, um, and I just aimed for the back of the green, and it actually spun back and to about six foot, and I hold it. So, <laughs> of course you did. was there anyone watching? Anyone uh, surely outside? Pe- yeah. yeah, any words, galleries yeah, by this stage? Surely. No, well, the boys were trying to tell people, but I tell them not to tell anyone. You know? <laughs> not, I don't, I don't go around bragging. You know, I didn't even tell anyone when I finished the. The club pro was happy to tell everyone on the whole putting green that it just shot 58. So. Mate, I've already told everyone here that I had 71 at Malvern Valley when I was 16. <laughs> I'm happy to brag whenever I get anything decent on my scorecard. Uh, it, that's that's outstanding. Oh, sorry, Andy, to interrupt no, no, you. I, really. I, Marty, I just wanted to ask you. Like People there must think you spend a million hours on the range and, and you know, you, you're grooving your swing every day and every night whenever you get a chance. And that's just not the case for you, is it? No, I hit about uh, 15 balls before I tee off. <laughs> and I hit, I always go straight to the putting green because if I know I'm going to play off season, it's going to be putting. So I went straight to the putting green and hit a couple of putts from 40 feet away to see, just to check the distance, and I was I was ready to go. But you're not, you're not a pennant player. You're not doing anything at the moment. I mean, I know you're capable of doing that, but you, you, your life's taken you in a different direction. Yeah, I don't play pennants because they play Sunday morning, and... Um, I don't tend to play golf on Sundays because I work six days a week anyway. 
So one day a week I like to try and spend at home and the kids, you know, one of the kids is going quite well at soccer. So, you know, I, uh, I go there every Sunday morning. So, Marty, one last one from me. I just want you to make everyone who's listening to this sick by telling us your handicap given that you play once every blue moon. Yeah, I'm off plus six now. So oh, give me a spell. Uh... And and off plus six. I just want to make sure. Did you win the competition on the day, or did some bandit on a handicap of twenty come and crucify you with a net sixty three? No, I did win. Actually, it's the first time I've won singles <laughs> well for five years. All right. Well done. If you shoot fifty eight and you don't win the club comp, there's something wrong with everything to do with the ratings and the sloping and the the method and the algorithms that go into all this sort of stuff. We got to we have to blow the whole thing up if you didn't win the club championship, the club comp that day. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for telling us about it. Well played. You're a star, Marty. Yeah, congratulations. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for the interest. No, we're interested. Marty Carmichael <laughs> joining us shooting 50 out of Castle Hill in the club comp. That's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It's unbelievable anywhere, but Castle Hill is a legitimate course, oh, a great yeah. course in the west of Sydney there. It's fantastic. I, I just, you know, they, I rang them earlier in the week to tee up Marty and they were so excited. They were really pumped. Um, I think Paul Gow's got the, profic- the the official course record there at 60 because they played off the tips, but uh, that 58's better. Last, that, Gowie. Last one before we go and wrap it up. Joe, just the Hana, the Hana Jang story, which um, will be covered a lot in the next week by the time we get back here. Um, she has had some issues with her family and the dad, and there's been a couple of stories that have you know obviously affected you know her overall kind of well-being uh, in the last kind of two years. Do you reckon that's contributed to life away from home for her? Do you, have you got a theory as to why she would have withdrawn her playing rights on the LBGO tour? I think it's spot on. It sounds like she's just terribly homesick. Um, her eyes were, or well, she was set on being world number one. That's where she chased the dream. She went to the US. Um, and then in reflecting on that, she's realised that there's more to life and friends and family have come first. So she'll continue to play, but um, in her own neighbourhood. So you you would have got to meet her when yeah. she won the Australian Open. Yeah. So she's obviously a lovely, effervescent Magnificent. character. Absolutely outstanding. She's she's one of the nicest, most genuine people I've ever met mm. uh, in any walk of life. And you know she, she bowls up uh, uh, coming back to Australia and she always says, oh, hello, how are you? How are you going? And you know just remembers your face and, yep. and asks you a question about what you talked about last year. She's one of those type of people. Uh, staggers me that she was so effervescent and bubbly after winning at Royal Adelaide on uh, in February that it's all come sort of to a grinding halt. But as as Joe says, there was a press conference the other night. And she just said, "I looked at my mum. She's seventy years old and she's lonely and sad, and I don't want to leave her alone." So, as Joe perfectly says, there's more things to life than golf. Do you reckon, in a perfect world, I suppose she could fly mum over with her and, yeah. and travel around. But the expenses of that. Um, are extraordinary. They are. Well, she's won 2.6 million in a brief time on the LPJ Tour, so she's putting some money in the bank. Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. Time now to talk golf in the backyard here in Queensland and to do that uh, Golf Queensland high-performance head coach and, of course, Golf Australia national coach Tony Myers has been good enough to join us on the line. Um, thanks for joining us on Inside the Ropes, Tony. Yeah, great to be with you. Uh, you've got a couple of uh, Academy of Sport uh, kids from your neck of the woods who are heading overseas. Let's talk about them individually and the programs and uh, that they've got um, set out for them as they venture to f- kind of far and wide places. Becky Kay, tell us what she's got in front of her. So Becky actually left um, for the UK in the last couple of days. 
Um, so she's getting prepared for the St Andrews um, St Rule Trophy, um, which is played on the old course and the new course um, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, she'll then head down to the Berkshire, which is not far from London, and compete in the Asta Salva. Um, and then she's got an invite, actually, to play in the Korean Open, which is on the Korean Ladies Tour in Korea. So she'll head down to Korea. So certainly some uh, great opportunities for her coming up. So she's going to miss the British Amateur, that would mean. But she's also joined by Karis. Will Karis be there at the, the British Amateur? So Karis is um, going to be going straight to Korea. So she's also playing in the Korean Open. She's going to play um, that um, KLPG event. Um, and then she's actually heading over to Japan for the Japan Amateur. And then she'll head to the US where both her and Becky, are, as um, Kari Webb scholarship holders, will go to the US Open. Um, and get to spend the week with Kari, which should be great for them. So even her Scottish heritage couldn't draw her across the um, the globe to, to Europe? Yeah, I think she certainly did did look at it. I think in the end she decided that with the likelihood is that her future is playing golf in Japan or Korea, um, that she didn't feel she's been there before and she felt that that would be better for her, to, her development. And I, I tend to agree. That's interesting, Tony. You just said that. I've never heard that from you before. Like She's actually started to focus on where her future might take her, which is fair enough. But I'm surprised to hear you say that it's not in, uh, you know, outside our time zones, whether it's Europe or the LPGA. Yeah, well, I think ultimately um, Karis would love to play on the LPGA Tour like all the, the girls would. But I think certainly in the short term, she's going to focus on playing in Japan to start with. Um, and and she, I think she's planning to go to Japanese tourist school later this year. So I think um, it's a good move for her to get experience because, as you know, the courses are so different um, up there in Japan than they are particularly here in Australia, but then even more so over in the UK. Interesting tone with the boys as well. Recently you had a couple of guys go across to Korea before they went to compete for uh, the Maroons in Perth. Uh, Shea Wolves-Cobb and, and also Charlie Dan had a great experience in a professional tournament in Korea. Oh, absolutely. I think that was something that, that opportunity came up at the last minute and those boys jumped at the opportunity to be able to, you know, play with the pros and also get to experience a country like Korea, which is obviously quite different. Um, and that was an awesome experience for them. And then obviously headed straight down to Perth for the interstate, arriving sort of the day before the first round. But I know both of them uh, had an ex- extremely great experience and Shay obviously did particularly well making the cut and um, playing all four rounds. So... Um, yeah, a great opportunity for them. And from here for those two, Shay and Charlie, are they off to the, the UK before the US? They are. So they, they head off to the UK early next week. So um, Shay and Charlie's first event will be the St Andrews Lynx Trophy. So um, Charlie played in that event last year to be Shay's first trip over to the UK. So um, they'll play the Lynx Trophy on the old course and the Jubilee course this year. And then they head down to the British Amateur Four, uh, which is being played at Royal St George's and Princess, which is another two great links courses, obviously British Open venue in Royal St George's. So that's going to be an awesome experience for them. And then they head to the to the US, which they've got a pretty full schedule over there as well. So, Tom, one of the knocks on um, some amateur golfers who've turned professional in recent years has been they've gone, they've gone too early and they haven't known what they're jumping into. You've talked about Karis focusing on what her future might be and also you know, Charlie and Shade doing the, 
the time-honoured pro thing of getting off a plane, sleeping and, and teeing up in practice rounds straight away. There's a real focus from the QAS, isn't there, to, to have athletes ready to go and not worry about the minutiae of turning pro. So when they actually make that uh, big leap, they're, they're good to go. They've got all the things with them and ready. They're fundamentally prepared. Oh, absolutely, and that, that's the number one key thing of our program, and I think all the programs now across the country is that you know, we want to make sure that when these guys and girls are thinking about turning pro that they're ready and they've experienced some of the things they're going to come up against. I think when they're in our programs, they get a lot of support, whether it be financial support, but also then support around their coaching and things. So opportunities to play in professional events, both here and abroad, um, is a huge um, focus for us. And, and as you all know, that you know to be successful as a professional golfer, whether it's male or female, you need to be able to compete overseas. So getting opportunities to travel and play these international events are, are really vital for these players' development. Back to the UK, Tony, I'm interested to know that how, in your training, how you're simulating a UK gale in the perfect Queensland <laughs> conditions. We can do that quite easily here in Melbourne, but I'm interested, how are you preparing your players? Yeah, it is certainly difficult to, um, with the weather, in terms of the temperature, it's difficult because, you know, I know I've been, this, I'm going next week, it'll be my third year, and typically you go from it's the middle of winter and it's warmer here than it is when you arrive in the middle of their summer, so that's a difficult <laughs> thing to simulate. Um, but certainly we can still, even without wind, we, we have them practising a lot of those, the wind shots that they're going to come up against and certainly a lot of the more running shots around the greens and those sort of things. And, and that's a vital thing. And I was only talking to some of the players the other day in regards to how they prepare as well before a round. So it's so vital that, you know, you can get over there and, with the, a lot of those links courses going out and back, you can play the whole front nine downwind, but the driving mm. range might be into the wind. So those things that we talk to them about before they go, so they're somewhat prepared. I think definitely the ones that have been before are at an advantage, but that's one of the great reasons um, for going over there to experience that and learn um, how to play those shots. Tony, none of this comes cheap. Who funds, who, who provides the funds for these um, young golfers to do the things that you're sort of describing to us? So the, the, the athletes that we're talking about are part of a QAS program, so they do receive some travel funding um, for these trips, certainly not all of it. So, you know, some of them are relying on their parents or their golf clubs that help them out, um, but certainly it's not an inexpensive exercise for them to do. And, you know, with the, the girls, I'm heading over with the girls, so we coordinate a bit of a trip for them, which makes it a little bit cheaper for them. Um, but, yeah, there's probably about at least sort of 50% of it's funded by um, the Queensland Academy of Sports through the funding we get through the government, um, and then um, the rest of it's sort of up to the, the individual players. And, and how big, you mentioned Kari Webb um, giving her time and, you know, experience to the, the young girls that she'll, um, you know, provide uh, information to. H how big and how valuable is it to have, I mean, she obviously, you know, bleeds Queensland. You don't really have yep. to listen to her talk about rugby league or, you know, the state to know that. Um, <laughs> how valuable for those young players is having access to her? Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, she's arguably the greatest player, male or female, that we've produced out of this country. So 
for those girls, Karis and Becky, to be able to spend the week with her in one of the biggest tournaments in the world in being the US Open is, you know, a priceless opportunity. It's just up for those girls to make sure that, you know, they get the most out of that week. And I know a lot of the girls like Stacey Keating and other girls that have um, had that scholarship in the past still have a close relationship with Kari. And so to be able to have that and be able to learn from her and her experiences over her many years playing is, is certainly something money can't buy. Tone, with you, you've mentioned uh, you know Becky and Karis a couple of times here. They were obviously away playing the Queen Syracuse Cup when the when the Interstate Series was on. And you're talking about getting a chance to take your opportunities. That opened up a couple of spots for your younger girls to come through that they might not otherwise have had. Um, they did really well. Obviously, Janae Goodwin and Dee Dee Russell fired up pretty well at the top of the order for Queensland. But underneath that, Isabel Taylor, Lisa Edgar and Darcy Habgood all did really well. Izzy in particular has been rewarded with Australian selection to play in the World Junior Teams Championship. Can you just talk us through a bit about Izzy and uh, and maybe the other girls as well? Yeah, look, certainly that was a great and great opportunity for those girls to, to get that. And, and, and they did extremely well, like you said. I thought the performances of that for, for such a young team, we had four of the players, Sarah Wilson included, that was part of the junior team that, that backed up. So that was an awesome opportunity for them. Um, Isabel Taylor's, you know, improved a, a heap in the last 12 months. I think she's really started to focus a lot more on on her golf and, and she's seen the benefits of that. She's improved significantly. She was one of our development players last year in the junior team and then sort of pretty well led the team this year. And then the other girls, Lisa and Darcy, um, both had played um, in the junior team for two years. So that opportunity to be able to, um, step up and and play with the the bigger the bigger girls was a great opportunity and same for Sarah. I think we're, we're fortunate with Janae and Dee Dee as well. They're such great um, role models and leaders for them to learn from as well. So um, that was a great opportunity for them. Hey Tony, a lot going on. Uh, we hope uh, we obviously wish those the the four or five that you spoke to uh, about us. We wish them all the very best, and uh, we can't wait to see the long line of outstanding players continue to uh, make their way out of the uh, the Queensland system. Thanks for joining us on the first Inside the Ropes, mate. Hopefully, it won't be the last time we speak to you. Very good. Cheers. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf. G'day, I'm my golf ambassador Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program. 
jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My Golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. There's no excuse for Queensland kids to not be good golfers. Oh. The, the weather they get up there, they should be out there hitting thousands of balls every day, every single one of them. You can talk whatever you want about the history of Australian golf. They just produce year in, year out, good quality golfers who are capable of winning money on world tours. And they, they punch way, way, way above their weight on a global scale. Who is the greatest golfer Australia's ever produced? Kari. Kari. There you go. See, I love that. I don't reckon that would have been universally the answer five or six years ago, but I think the conversation's taken place and thankfully people come up with that answer. Yeah, well, we, we might talk about that one day, but I mean, the, the options are probably Greg Curry or Peter Thompson, mm. and I, I think, un, unfortunately, as a Shark fan, I've got to rate him number three. Did you see what he was doing on his crutches the other day, actually? Sorry, I'm just... Did he have a shirt That on? wasn't a I bet he good segue sh- at all, but did you see him? No, he wouldn't have had a shirt on, though. No shirt. Back he was down. standing on two crutches, <laughs> crunching from the ground. Of course he was. Ground. He, for a man who's got billions of dollars, he just doesn't buy shirts. And if he does, he never wears them, especially the sleeves. I guess if you and I had a rack like that, we wouldn't wear shirts either. Probably not. In fact, there it is. Greg Oaks is just there. He is. Look at him. Oh. I mean, go and have a look at his. Is that his? That's his uh, Instagram account. You've got to go and have a look at him. Shark, have a look at yourself, mate. You're not doing. You're making it impossible for the rest of us. Uh, that's it, folks. We're done. Um, do it again soon. Thanks, Andy. Mark Hayes, Joe Charlton joining us. I uh, hope you've enjoyed. The show, uh, if you have, uh, have a listen next week and um, tell everybody about it. Thanks for your time.